So I was talking to Pastor Greg and, and said, hey, we're going to do this swap. And, and uh, you know, we're, what are you guys preaching on? What, how could I help you? And he said, well, we're doing this little series on prayer from the Old Testament. And I said, okay, I have a, psalm, uh, um, a sermon on Psalm 23. Would that, would that fit? Would that be okay? He said, yeah, that'd be great. Just you know, make sure it fits in with prayer. I said, okay. So um, Tim Keller said this about prayer. He said, the basic purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to mine, but to mold my will into his. And a lot of times when we pray, we just lift up a laundry list of prayers, Lord, do these things for me. But really in prayer, what's happening is God's forming us, right, to, to be like Christ and to, to know him better and to live with him. And so today, that's, that's my hope. As we go through Psalm 23, we'll learn more about God, we'll learn more about our relationship to God and what that shows us. And, and as we pray this prayer, and I think you guys may know the, the book of Psalms is called the School of Prayer, right? We'll learn not just, not just the language of prayer, uh, but also what it means to be in an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. So does that sound like a, a good plan? Psalm 23? Um, I got to confess, I'm, I'm a little intimidated, but excited about this psalm. I'm intimidated because it's such a familiar psalm. Who, who here has heard of Psalm 23? Okay, so you probably have all heard of it, read it. Maybe some of you are studying it. So it's so familiar. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's hard to preach on. But I'm excited because there's so many good things here that we're, hopefully God's going to show us this morning together. So, so with that, let's, let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23. And as a way of God, if we can end, and uh, let's hear what God has to say to us through his word. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul and he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for your word, and thank you for your spirit. Jesus, thank you that you, you speak. And I pray, Father, that you would use me and my words and that we would together hear from you. Lord, mold us, shape us, convict us, encourage us, do all those things that only you can do through your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, amen. Are we okay in the... Okay, all right. It's kind of like my voice cracks a little bit. All right, so for... For this message today, I want to do two things. I want to talk to you about David and Jesus. David and Jesus. And so we're going to start by talking about David. And if you notice at the very beginning of the song, it says that this is, the author is David. David is the author of this psalm. And uh, we know that David knew a thing about sheep and shepherds because he was a shepherd. Now, what do we know about sheep? Um, my father-in-law is a retired CRC pastor up in Montana, and for his retirement, the church gave him and mom a, 
a trip to Israel. So they did that a number of years back, and they've gone back a couple times. And, and, and since then, he's been just kind of falling in love with the Bible again, and especially as it you know, comes alive, as you know, the history, the context, the culture. So he's doing all these reflections, these devotionals. And I was talking to Lindy. She said, you're doing a, a thing on the Psalms coming up. Um, so he's got all these reflections on the Psalms. And anyway, I want to just quote a little bit from what he talked about with sheep and shepherds. He says, think about the relationship between sheep and their shepherd. Of all the domesticated animals that Israel had experience with, sheep were the most helpless. Sheep have no ability to defend themselves from predators. They're too slow on foot to outrun an attacker and too dim-witted to detect the presence of danger lurking in the distance. And when they are concentrated on eating, sheep never lift their heads and they've been known to walk right off the edge of a cliff as they're eating. When they wander away from the flock, they have no sense of direction to find the shepherd's house or to find the rest of the flock. They are afraid of fast-running water, and they will get badly dehydrated before they're willing to step down into the edge of a tumbling stream to get a drink. When they're dirty and caked with mud or their own excrement, they have no ability to lick themselves clean, and they're unable to find their own food. Sheep and goats were often pastured together, in part because goats can do almost everything a sheep cannot do. And a sheep, was uh, sometimes a lost sheep, got out of trouble by simply finding their way home by following goats in the flock. In other words, sheep need their shepherd very badly. And here's the question for us. Since God sees us as sheep, as his sheep, what does that tell us about our relationship with God and our need? So keep those two questions in the back of your mind as we, as we go through this. So, so back to David. And we said David was a shepherd, so he knew a thing or two about sheep and shepherds. Of course, when he was younger, he was a shepherd. That was his job, to take care of the, the sheep of his father. And we know from the stories, he beat back a lion and a bear. And at one point when he was younger, he even killed this giant named Goliath. Right? So when David was younger, he was a shepherd. Now, when David was older, he was a shepherd king, and God ruled his people through David. In Psalm 78, at the very end, it says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. He led them. So David knew a thing or two about sheep and being a shepherd, but David also needed a shepherd. So like the sheep that he knew so well, he was needy. He was helpless. He knew he was lost and unable to save himself. The kings of Israel often had the title of shepherds, and times they were called bad shepherds. So God often warned the shepherds through prophets. For example, in Jeremiah 23, 1, God said, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. He's calling out the bad kings. Now, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, at times, he was also a So think about some of the sins of David. Uh, he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. Uh, he was a poor father and had a mess of a family in many ways. Um, at the, towards the end of his life, he had that sin counting his fighting men. And with all those sins, there were consequences. The prophet Nathan had to confront him on his we have that Psalm 51, his famous prayer. 
Um, when he sinned, there was always uh, consequences with death. Bathsheba, both Uriah, but their, that, that son that she bore him first died. Uh, with his poor fathering, both Absalom and his son Amnon died. And then when he was counting his fire, it's the end of his life, 70,000 Israelites died. And so in First Chronicles 21, do we need a mic adjustment? Yep, that's okay. Here we go. All right. Is that better? Well, I feel right at home because we use a handheld too. So <laughs> thank you for making me feel right at home. Um, so, yeah, so the, those sins of David, he's counting his fighting men. All these Israelites are dying. And in First Chronicles 21, he says this. He says, was it not I who ordered the fighting men to be counted? I, the shepherd, have sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? So David knew a thing or two about sheep and shepherds. He knew that he needed a shepherd, right, because he was sinful. And we go on. Most scholars think that David wrote Psalm 23 towards the end of his life. So as we get older, we know that we look back and we have some perspective. And it's like David's looking back and everything's coming into focus so when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he's speaking not just in terms of being familiar with sheep and shepherds, but this is deeply personal for David after all that he's been through. And Psalm 23 can be personal for us as well. We can say the Lord is our shepherd. Psalm 95 says he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So David knew a thing or two about sheep and shepherds. He knew that he needed a shepherd. But David also knew that the Lord was his shepherd. And with Israel, he was looking forward to a time when God himself would shepherd the people under his care. Ezekiel 34 is another one of those um, prophecies, those passages where God's calling out the bad shepherds of Israel. But in that same passage, God is also making a promise that he's going to do something new. So Ezekiel 34, verse 11, and then again 23 and 24. This is God speaking. He says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. Now, who is this servant David that God's talking about here? Well, it's not King David, because he lived a couple hundred years before Ezekiel. But it's the new son of David that was to come, Jesus Christ, who is our shepherd. So let's, let's switch gears. We've been talking about David, but, but let's talk about Jesus, right? And that's really where the focus of this psalm is. So in the New Testament, Jesus is called the shepherd. And he actually has different titles. He's called the good shepherd. And so John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's called the great shepherd. And in Hebrews 13, it talks about God who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's also called the chief shepherd. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, it says, when the chief shepherd appears we will receive our crown of glory. It's talking about when Jesus comes again. So he's our good shepherd, our great shepherd, 
and our chief shepherd. So we, we hear all these images of Jesus being our shepherd, but then how do we see Jesus in Psalm 23? Well, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. And we could make that plural, the Lord is our shepherd, right? We lack nothing. And so just as sheep have everything they need because of their shepherd, food and water and protection, safety, a sense of belonging, you and I as God's sheep have everything we need in Christ. Ephesians 1 says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Jesus teaches us to pray that Lord's Prayer. And he says, ask for Daily bread, forgiveness of sins, deliverance from evil. And then he turns around and he gives us those things. The Apostle Paul said that he learned to be content in any and every situation. Why? Because he had everything he needed in Jesus. And in Romans 8, we learn that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe you know that question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. What's your only comfort in life and death? That I'm not my own but I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's our shepherd. So as our shepherd, then, then what does Jesus do specifically? What I want to do in the psalm for the rest of the sermon, just go through line by line these verses, kind of unpack them for you, and then show how this is good news for us, both in general in our faith, but also as we in our prayer life, right? how we relate to God. So verse 2 says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. So the, the two ideas here in this verse are God supplies just enough, and he gives us rest without fear. So the idea of, of green pastures, um, about five years ago, my wife and I went to Israel for the first time, and you know I'm familiar with this psalm, and I was picturing lush, green pastures, right, in the hills of Israel. And there are shepherds there still today, the Bedouin shepherds. But the hills are dry and brown, and you don't see any grass. I'm like, what's going on? Well, there is grass, but there's just little tufts of grass. And they're, you know, in places where, you know, there's dew on the rock or just the north side of a, of a hill and places where the grass can grow. So there's, there's not very much of it, but there, it's there. And what has to happen is the shepherd has to lead his sheep to that grass. And so it's the idea that God doesn't give us this nice green you know, meadow of grass everywhere, but he gives us just what we need, just enough. Jesus told us to pray, give us this day our, our daily bread. And that's that image of, of green pastures. And there's also in that verse that image of quiet waters. So sheep are afraid of running water, and here's why. Sheep have wool on them, right? And they have a lot of wool, especially on the front, and so if they, they you know, go down into a running stream to get the water, that wool will become wet and then heavy, and they'll become very top-heavy and even sometimes fall into that river and maybe drown. So there's a good reason that they're kind of skittish, right, with running water. But quiet water is okay. So the shepherd will lead the sheep beside quiet waters. What are the quiet waters? It could be, you know, a little water bubbling up, you know, from a little spring. It could be a cistern somewhere where there's water already there. It could be that, that rushing water, but then the shepherd diverts some of that water to have a little pool here, and, and the sheep can go and, you know, get water. And it's this idea of God gives us rest 
without fear. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary, right, and heavy laden, I will give you rest. We can rest our souls with Jesus without fear, right? We're safe with him. So that's that, that first, that second verse. Verse 3, it goes on, and it says, He restores my soul, and he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And so this is that idea of God brings me back, and he puts me on right paths. So this, the, where it says he restores or he refreshes my soul, the translation there is actually he brings me back or he turns me around, t- turns my soul around. So the picture is of a sheep who gets lost. And remember, we have this description of sheep. They're not very smart. <laughs> so when they get lost, what happens is they get paralyzed with fear, and they'll sit down next to a rock or under a tree somewhere and just start bleeding. <laughs> and because they're so paralyzed and they don't know how to get home, they're just stuck there. Now, there's wild animals around, right? Hyenas and wolves and jackals and coyotes. And they hear the sheep, <laughs> and they think, ding, 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 dinner time, Right? Now, the shepherd, because of all this, has a very short window from which, for which to rescue the sheep. But he's often not aware that the sheep is lost until the evening time when all the, the sheep are in the pen and they come home and he's counting them. 97, 98, 99. Wait, where's the 100th one? Right? There's the lost sheep. So he goes and looks after it. And as he's going out there, he's going out with, with great danger to himself. It's dark. He might fall off a cliff. An animal might attack him, right? So at great risk to himself, he goes and he looks for that lost sheep. He finds it. When he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders to bring it home. Remember, it's paralyzed with fear. It can't walk. It's also pretty heavy, 75 pounds. So maybe you've seen that picture of a shepherd, right, carrying a sheep on their shoulders. That's that picture. of We were lost, but now we're found with Jesus. And friends, as I, as I think about my life and how God has saved me, what a beautiful picture when Christ says, when, when Paul says we were dead in our sins, right? But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. That's this picture of he turns me around. He restores my soul. It's a picture of salvation. But then that last half of the verse goes on, and he says he, he leads me and in paths of righteousness or in right paths. And this is that picture of God putting us on the right path after he's rescued us. Just like the shepherd will put the sheep on a right path, uh, sometimes in those Bedouin hills, right? It's all brown. But there can be tufts of grass along a little path, right? In the, in the shade or where there's dew. And so the shepherd knows where to send the sheep on those right paths so it gets all the nourishment it needs. And that's like us when God saves us. For his name's sake, he will put us on right paths so we can lead holy and obedient lives. Right? We're saved, but saved to do good works. We're saved to follow and be obedient to Jesus. That's that image there. Okay, so moving right along. Verse 4, and this is kind of the climax of the verse. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the two ideas here are no fear in death, and God defends and cares for us. No fear in death, God defends and cares for us. So there's a, there's a reason, right? Psalm 23 is read at funerals a lot of times. Even though we go through death's darkest valleys, 
And the picture here is of going through this, you know, path or a road in Israel. And you can just picture two big cliffs on either side. And so it's, it's dark because that shadow from the cliffs is, you know, overshadowing that path. You can't see much. It's dangerous because animals could come and rip you apart. A flash flood could come and take you out. Bandits or robbers could come and steal from you or even kill you. So death is very real. But notice when it talks about, even though I go through the valley of the shadow, the good news is that we know in Jesus Christ, death has lost its sting. And yes, there's a shadow. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it, it's not pleasant. A couple weeks ago, some of us were at uh, Pastor Roger and Debbie's uh, son-in-law's funeral, Jeff Maddox. And the pastor there just said this exact thing. He, he ended the funeral saying, you know, it's, it's the shadow that passes over us. And that's not nice, but Christ took the hit for us. Christ died for us. That's why there's no sting in death. And the image of here is that even though we go through death's darkest valleys, we don't go through it alone. We go through it with Jesus. And we know that nothing can separate us from his, from his love. Neither height nor death, angels or demons, not even death itself. So like Jesus told Mary and Martha when his friend Lazarus died, even though we die, we will live. And if we die, we will rise again with Christ, right? That's the hope. That's the comfort. And then that last part of that verse, it talks about your rod and your staff. They comfort me. And this is that picture of God defending and and caring for us. So a shepherd had two tools at his disposal, a rod and a staff. And they were very different and had different functions. A rod was about two and a half feet long. It was kind of like a big club with a piece of metal or iron on the end. And that's what the shepherd would use to beat back bears and wolves and, you know, coyotes. And so it's, it's a, it's a meant to defeat outward enemies. Um, in Psalm chapter two, it's talking about a king and it has this king with a rod of iron. Right? That's that rod that a shepherd had. These shepherd kings had these rods. They'd beat back their enemies. Revelation 2, Jesus will rule with an iron scepter right, and defeat his enemies, our enemies. And so we have protection right, from our shepherd king because he has a rod. But also he has a staff. And the staff is about twice as long as the rod, about five, six feet. More slender. had a little crook at the end. So you've probably seen a shepherd's staff or you can picture that. And the crook was at the end so it could... You know, get a sheep that was caught in a ravine or, you know, going down a river and it would rescue that sheep, but not just rescue it, but also guide it along the right paths. So those two tools the shepherd would use to defend and to care for his sheep, just like God defends us and cares for us. Two more verses and then we're done. And uh, verse five, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And so there's three things here. It's a picture of how God welcomes sinners. He removes sin, and then he gives us life and life abundant. So you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So in biblical times, it would, it would be common to, you know, to host a banquet, to, to invite guests, and to be seated at the table. Um, the person preparing that table would often be the servant or the women. But here the picture is of the host. You prepare a table before me. This, the servant king, Jesus, our shepherd himself, prepares a table before me. 
Think of David again, looking back on his life and all the ways he had sinned, all the ways he'd become an enemy of God. And yet, even though we're enemies, God himself is welcoming David to his table, preparing a table before him. Just like Jesus with the disciples at that last supper, preparing a table for them. And when we come to the Lord's Supper table, God preparing a table for us. Once we were enemies, yet now we're seated around the table, friends of Jesus. Right? It's a picture of God's goodness and his, his grace. And it gets better because it says, you anoint my head with oil. And so picture yourself back in you know, Jesus' day, and you'd walk from one city to the next, a couple miles journey. And, you know, your feet get all smelly and dirty. That's why a servant would come and wash your feet. So when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he's cleaning them up, but also helping to remove the, the stink, right? And the anointing your head with oil would do the same thing. It would remove that smell, right? All that B.O. smell from walking around, right? From all the hot, hot travel. Um, speaking of stench, I woke up this morning to this awful, awful smell, and there was a skunk in our backyard, <laughs> And our dogs had gotten tangled up in it. So my wife was up early cleaning up the dogs from that stench, right? But um, there, there was a stench after you traveled. And so whether it was washing, you know, your guests' feet or anointing their head with oil as a way to put on deodorant, so to say, take away the stench. And, and in the Bible, our sins are compared to that, that foul smell. Our sins are a stench, a stench in God's nostrils, right? It, it's not pleasant. And yet, he anoints our head with oil to take away our sin. Just like Jesus shed his blood on the cross to take away our sin. He doesn't hold it against us. And it gets even better because it says, my cup overflows. That picture of life, life abundant. Jesus turning water into wine, right? This wine that never runs out. It's a picture of the kingdom. When we come to Jesus, it's not only that he welcomes sinners, he forgives our sins, but he also gives us this Amazing gift of eternal life. Verse 6, this is one of my favorites. It says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So two things here. God gives grace, gives eternal life. It's kind of the same as that last verse. But back to the shepherd analogy. So a shepherd would lead the sheep. He'd be up front, right? The sheep would follow him. But if he had assistant shepherds, those two assistant shepherds would get at the back of the flock and then bring up the rear. And why would they do that? Because remember the hyenas and the coyotes and the bears, they'd be kind of hanging out in the end, see if there's any young sheep or injured sheep that would get separated from the flock, and then they could go have dinner. But with the assistant shepherds there, they would bring up the end and protect the vulnerable sheep. So those shepherds are following the flock. And the image here is surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, just like those shepherds. And again, think of David at the end of his life with all that sin, all those people that had died. And I don't know about you, but I I feel bad when I sin. Anybody have regrets for what you've done, feel shamed, right? But David's at the end of his life, and what he's not saying is guilt and regret will follow me all the days of my life. Instead, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then it ends with this beautiful picture. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knew about the tabernacle. He wanted to build a house, right, a temple for God. But God said, nope, I'm going to build a house for you. 
and through the Son of David, Jesus. Jesus is now the temple of God. Jesus is building his house. Jesus has a place for us to dwell. It's a picture of eternal life, dwelling with God. It's something that can start now and go on forever. What a beautiful thing. Psalm 23 gives us a picture of Jesus as our shepherd, us as his sheep, and that changes everything, doesn't it? So friends, in conclusion, what I love about this psalm is not just all those details, but how we see the gospel so clearly through Jesus our shepherd. Remember what I told you about how he's the good shepherd and the the great shepherd and the chief shepherd? Well, he's the good shepherd, right? The one that lays down his life for his sheep at the cross. Jesus shed his blood and died in our place so we wouldn't have to. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead, our chief shepherd, right? To give us eternal life. And then he's also that, that, that chief, the chief shepherd's going to come back again one day and we can look forward to being with the Lord forever. All of that is good news. And this morning, if you don't know that shepherd, you can know him. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be one of his sheep. And guess what? He knows your name. You can know his name. And you can know his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, and they follow me. And we can follow our good shepherd all the days of our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all the beauty, the goodness, the grace, all these things that we we glean out of this text. And Jesus, they all come true in you, and and that is so amazing. It's like the gospel, Lord, with so many different sides of, of, of goodness and grace. Lord, all we can do is say thank you. Thank you that you lead us. Thank you that you care for us, that you provide for us, that you forgive us and that you have good plans for us. So, Lord, in light of all that, we say that we love you, we belong to you, we want to follow and obey and be obedient to you. Lord, we can't do that on our own, but thank you for your grace and forgiveness. Also, we can't do that on our own, but thank you that it's not just your goodness and mercy that follows us, but you have given us your Holy Spirit to indwell us. So, Lord, may you lead and guide. May we Uh, dwell in your presence and enjoy you. And in all things, Lord, may we know that at the end of the day, we belong to you and nothing can change that. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.